Welcome back to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox, two rather insecure creative frauds who will be exploring the motivating and sometimes debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. Welcome to The Imposterous. My name is Kate Stevenson and I'm here to introduce Peter Lankervis from The Lighthouse Group. I got this gig for a couple of reasons. One, Peter has been a close friend of mine for a very long time and two, because I happen to be married to The Imposterous producer. But I'm really here because Peter's helped me enormously in my executive life and I am undoubtedly one of his greatest fans. Peter's official blurb says that he's the founder and managing director of The Lighthouse Group specialising in helping businesses to accelerate growth through leadership. The lived experience for me, having partnered with Peter in my last two CEO roles, is that he's been instrumental in helping me to build a vibrant and dynamic organisational culture and to create extraordinary high-performing leadership teams. Peter is every CEO's secret weapon. He's seen his fair share of imposter syndrome and I'm sure you'll find his insights as valuable as I have found his partnership. So welcome to the, let me go again. Sorry, I lost my screen. <laughs> I'll go again. See, Graham wouldn't have done that. Anyway. No, Graham would have just been five minutes late. That's all. Yeah, he would have been running in yeah. Kramer style. So welcome to The Imposterous, Peter Nankervis. And I don't know if you heard that sound, but that was our credibility going up. It's been some time since we've had someone who actually knows what they're talking about when it comes to leadership and talent development. So welcome to The Imposterous. Thanks, Michael. It's, yeah, it's good to be here. I'm loving what you guys are doing. So, it's, you know, it's good to That's continue. That's great. Yeah. Tell your friends. So I want to ask you to kick things off. I was having a conversation with someone recently and they talked about this notion of looking for talent who can thrive in ambiguity. And a lot of the conversations that we have on the imposterous are about people performing to their best capabilities, knowing that sometimes their head might be full of doubt. And I wanted your opinion on this idea that a lot of business structures, you know, will pride themselves on being quite flat or or lacking hierarchy as a way to promote the free flow of ideas. Do you think structure, the way business is structured, the way that workplaces, I guess, perform in and out of lockdown situations have meant that some individuals find themselves with less parameters to perform within and that might affect their confidence? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, definitely agility is something that's higher on the order for everyone. I, I do I do actually think a lot of issues come back to structure. I mean, most organisations are organised into you know, silos of some degree and, you know, some have got thicker walls, some have got thinner walls between those those lines. But that, that's largely set up to drive performance and accountability. But the downside of that is it can really uh, affect communication and collaboration and people working across the silos from an enterprise point of view. So uh, 
so definitely it has its effect and most organisations are always trying to overcome that in some way culturally to, to solve a structural problem. And then I think in terms of teams, I mean, what we've been going through over the last couple of years has flipped, well, the notion of how we work on its head but also how we lead on its head a bit because, you know, now, uh, you know, just about most leaders are running remote teams that could be global or certainly all virtual and all working in disparate ways. And, you know, that really has had an effect on a lot of people in terms of their um, not only sense of connection and belonging to the team or to the community that they're part of, but they're also um, probably at the same time struggling with the amount of workload and, and, and feeling the capacity issues that are going with that. And so when I guess when we when we come into it, and certainly from an individual point of view, you know, we look at three things, sort of what's the work? It's work, worker and workplace. So work is how's the work organised and is the right person doing what is required for that job? The work, do they have the skills and the will to do that job? And then the workplace is what's the dynamic that's going on with the team and the leader and the, the interpersonal stuff that's happening to sort of organise. But, but, but many of those or just about all of those questions come back to structure. So, um, you know, and I, I often find, you know, the problem is generally one level higher in thinking than what you're dealing with. So if you're dealing with a structural issue, you're kind of sometimes dealing often with a strategy issue. So, you know, it, it leads you in the right direction and certainly it's changed a lot in the last couple of years. So what about the, the role of the individual then, if we're talking about structures and, and how they change, and there was for some time, and the conversation might even be current, and you'll know this idea of the importance of having your own brand. And I'm interested in your opinion on how you think an individual being aware of their own brand, who they are, how that plays into defeating thoughts of impostering, if you like, and also helping them understand what kind of leader they can be. Because I think in in the, or the what we want to get out of these conversations is enough confidence to kind of move forward to be the best that you can be. And I'm just interested in that own brand and how that sits now. Yeah. No. Look, I think from a I mean, most part, leadership pathways have a sort of leading self component to start with, right? Which is really all about understanding your own strengths. And when you're developing your personal brand, it's it's it it, it involves a combination of really defining what your strengths are, really kind of thinking about what you're most passionate about and, and also where the opportunity is for you to contribute. And so that clarity, if you have that, it sets you on a very positive path because it's all strength-based. It's all based on what you love doing and it is all based on what you want to contribute or where you want to add value. So it's it sort of directs you in the way that you can add value in your role, which is very confidence-building in its own right. But the flip side of that too, it stops you from what we call um, role deflation, right, which is where you drop down to a level that's below where you should be playing. And if you drop down and you're doing things that the level below should be doing, then you're going to get criticism. You're going to get criticism from the CEO. You're going to get criticism from those that are around you, your stakeholders, because you're not adding enough value to the business or to the growth of the firm or to what's required next. And, and then... Thirdly, as you said, having the clarity of, you know, kind of how you want to show up, if you will, sort of then really sort of helps you define what qualities or the things that you want to stand for as you, as a leader. 
And that just helps you be more consistent, you know. And I think consistent is a really underrated leadership quality because I think, you know, a lot of people get a lot out of, you know, knowing what someone's going to be, don't they? You know, it's the unpredictability that causes us to really doubt and get confused and second-guess ourselves. Yeah, a lot of that. A lot of that's in communication, isn't it? The clarity from, as always, the, the clarity from the top as to this is who we are as a group and this is who, this is how individuals within the group behave. Absolutely. You know, that's, I mean, that's how culture starts. It's, it's really, you know, the, the, the way we work around here, which does start from the top, you know, but, but also individually, uh, I, I think most organisations do go through a process to help their people get clear on those sorts of things because it just helps you, as you said, steer you in a positive path. So having a vision for yourself, because I don't know, you know, it's it's hard to know the people who listen to this podcast. And, and yes. where we started was obviously talking to advertising creatives so I can kind of have a, a rough idea and understanding of what those personalities are like. But the importance of having a plan or a vision for yourself and a roadmap as to where you're going what what percentage of people have that? Like, what is that? A, is that a regular thing to have? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a regular thing. I do. I do definitely know that it's what most leaders want help with, both for their organisations, for their teams, and and sometimes for themselves. Um, you know, my, I mean, we know from the research that you know seventy percent of change efforts fail, right, organisationally. So. Uh, if you want to be the three out of ten, not the seven out of ten, it, it is very helpful to have a roadmap. Uh, what does that roadmap look like? What is what, where does it start? Where's where's it end? What, what what type of thinking goes into a roadmap that you might have for yourself? Well, uh, well, maybe it might be good to talk about it at individual team and organisational level, right? So if you start at the business level, um, you know we're all trying to improve or increase our enterprise value of some sort, right? And from a roadmap point of view, you want to get your, your leadership group aligned. So the first step is alignment around where it is you're going and where you're going to win, how you're going to win, how you're going to grow. And then the next step is about what you need to change. So what's the steps that we need to take to change? And then how do we get the rest of the business engaged with the change that we're trying to lead and drive? So we call that align, change, empower as a roadmap for organisations. But but for, um, I think it goes a bit deeper than that, particularly with the imposter syndrome though as well, because organisations, most organisations are looking to grow, right? And, and with that growth, you're trying to achieve a different result than you have achieved before. You're trying to move from a state that you are at the moment to a different state. And that growth agenda in itself it's, you know, which we call the north, you know, in terms of where you're heading, kind of brings up a need for everyone to grow with that, right? Because we're not going to we're not going to achieve a different result by not. We have to change our mindsets, our behaviours, our capabilities, the processes around how we work. So, in order to change that, though, that does mean a degree of uncomfortability. We're challenging what's comfortable for people. And so, you know that game that you used to play at Luna Park when, you know, the, the heads bounce up and you try and knock them down? Whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole, that's it. Originating in Japan, Whack-a-mole is a waist-level cabinet with a play area and display screen and a large soft black mallet. Five holes in the play area are filled with small plastic cartoonish moles which pop up at random. 
points are scored by whacking each mole as it appears. The faster the reaction time, the higher the score. Exactly. As the new north is set for businesses, there's a whole lot of what we call south that comes up, which is the whack-a-mole, which is all of the resistance to change and the fears that people have about, well, I don't know, I might fail, it might not work, how am I going to go, um, I'm not good enough, those sorts of things, right? So the individual then needs a roadmap to how do we move from where we are to where we're going to in the best way possible. What mindsets do we need to change? What behaviours do we need to change? What capabilities do we need to change, et cetera? So um, what we try and do is help each, at an individual level, understand the from to for them. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And that's something you could potentially devise for yourself, but the culture as well has one of those going on that you fit into or, or not. This is where I am here to where I'm going to. Yeah, and it's, you know, what you're trying to do is get the alignment between what's required at the organisational level, what's required at the different team level to what's required at the individual level. And that that's the whole alignment piece that is required for change efforts to work successfully. Yeah, and I think that plays into the next question I wanted to ask you about, which is self-belief um, and feedback. And we've had conversations on here um, regarding feedback and they vary from people actively seeking, tell me what's wrong with it, to, you know, kind of what, what can I do better? What's wrong? What's wrong with what I'm doing? To brushing off praise as if they think they don't deserve it, like yeah. oh, I was lucky, and then, and that's quite a range. What's the secret to, to giving feedback and receiving feedback? Because a lot of our audience would be asked to do both those things multiple times a day. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You know, we, we do a research study each year and there's, two things that always come out. One is everyone wants more ownership and accountability from those that are working for them. And the other thing, the one thing that people find the hardest and want to be better at is difficult conversations. It's 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 just culturally and, I mean, organisationally, big organisations are trying for years to solve that, right? Like how do we change the, the culture where people are much more open to feedback, giving and receiving feedback? So... It, it, it's definitely, I mean, there's lots of great tools and techniques that kind of help construct how you should do that. But I think if you start on the positive basis, you know, what creates motivation for people is being either interested in the goal or the belief that you'll be successful. And so in terms of praising, recognising, giving positive feedback, that builds a culture of self-belief. And if you do that, collectively over an organisation, then you get this winning kind of culture that starts to emerge that really is long-standing and it's and it's not dependent on any one leader or it's just, it just exists. And I see that in many great organisations that we work with and, it's, and it overrides any of that negativity to, to, a, lot of, to, to a lot of degrees. But on the, on the constructives, on the other side, we need to build the faith in success, right, in terms of our ability to be think that we can get there, that self-efficacy that we know if we follow this path or we do these things that we'll get there. So being able to break things down for people, give them feedback about, look, the first steps or, you know, the one thing or, you know, that really helps people move. And, right. you know, in terms of your ability to get change and growth from those around you, you know, we, we don't change anything unless we know what to change, right? And the only way you know what to change is, by being aware, and the only way you become aware is through feedback. So you kind of have to 
you have to get feedback from people to know what it is you need to improve and develop and change. And, you know, you're only open to it, and I'm sure you've seen it many times, where you just you just don't give people a feedback because you know they're not going to listen to it or you, you know they're not going to mm. do anything about it or you fear the conversation's going to go south when you start the conversation because they're going to be really defensive. So you, so you cons- consequently don't give it. So the key to giving feedback is to actually sort of set the person up to receive it you know, I'd like to give you some feedback, would that be okay with you, you know, um, is starting to open it up so people can receive. And then the art of receiving is to sort of suspend the, the, the fastest route to taking things personally, which is immediately, oh, you know, all the, the, the weaknesses or the things that you, you know, where you take it critically. But if you can actually suspend that for a moment and go, okay, well, um, thanks for the feedback, oh, really, you know, great, great feedback. Could you tell me a bit more about that? What is it that I need to learn here that I could do better? If you, if you kind of approach it with that, then you, you're approaching it back to where you started the conversation on agility. If you're starting it with a growth mindset and being really open to not being perfect and, and we all have areas to work on and, and it'd be good to hear it. Yeah. So does the, the, the best talent then in that regard, the very best talent that you've worked with and, and know of, uh, are they about having a sweet spot between like a healthy serving of confidence and, and looking forward and kind of like a forward, this is the way we're going, and also a well, I guess, maintained doubt about them, about where they are, like there's somewhere in between? Is that is that what that is? Is that what feedback wants to tell you? It wants to tell you that this, these are the things that you're doing well? I think most people think of feedback as a feedback sandwich or a you know shit sandwich, as some people would say. Right? It's the it's that it's the uncomfortable things you don't want to hear. But feedback should equally be fifty percent or more positive. So, but I think to your question about talent is, and I, I remember clearly when I first you know really realised, I suppose, the imposter syndrome in its form, and we, you know I was working, we were working with a you know, blue chip organisation, about 100 of their top talent in a, you know, in a process and we were helping them basically go through a process to get the best version out of themselves, right? And it was remarkable at the time because suddenly all of the talent that were there, this is the best top 100 in the organisation in terms of potential, realised that they all collectively had similar things but different. Doubts around, I don't deserve this, I'm not smart enough, I might not make it, I'm not, you know, the, the, the things that you would know well from the early interviews that you're doing, but it was really when it hit me collectively and also I think the group. So my experience is that most, um, the best talent do experience this and they've all experienced this and they um, continue and, and experience it in different ways. And, and you know, every organisation has a different definition, right, of talent, but I think about it as hungry, humble, smart. You know, generally talent is smart, generally they're pretty hungry, but best talent actually are always humble also. And humble brings with it that balance that you're talking about of being quietly kind of confident in your own ability and the direction that you're on and the path that you're on, but also open, you know, open to feedback, open to sort of other people's advice and input into what you don't know. And, you know, I personally experienced that a lot with um uh, exec setting sort of coming up into CEO roles and, you know, so they're at the top of the organisation, the light's on them, they they do 
really sense and feel a sense of imposter at that at that moment. But you know, the good ones, and I've, I'm working with one right now in a similar situation. First three months is quite clear about the change that she wants to drive within the organisation. But at the same time, she's asking things like, "But you know, what am I not thinking about? Or who am I not thinking about in this new structure? Or you know, uh, what what would you do if you're in a situation like this? There, there's a sort of a advice taking part that that they're looking to balance with the sureness that they have or the confidence that they have on the things that they want to do. So, you know, I, I, I definitely do agree that the best talent generally all experience it in certain ways. And, you know, and I think, you, you know, you'd probably see it a lot or the context of what you'd see a lot would be with um, presenting. Yes. You know, that's where we're pitching, right? We're pitching our idea. We're trying to convince another group or another person to buy something from us or, think or feel or do something different and you know the likes on us we feel uh we feel like sometimes we've got to be the expert in that situation uh and you can feel like an imposter because you 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 don't feel as at that level of quality with the audience that you're talking to and so i I certainly see that a lot you know across organizations that would be probably one of the greatest fears i think (laughs) where where it shows up Oh, yeah. So a lot of the conversations we're having then are about standards, generally speaking our own personal standards or they might be standards that are reinforced by the cultures that we work in. It might be our standards are too high or not high enough. So how do we as leaders create or avoid feeling, I guess, sorry, fueling the imposter syndrome in others in those setting of standards? Because we we had a guest on early who was talking about, you know, he was at his best when he was angry and he's very good. (laughs) He's very good at what he does but kind of gets angry about the work in order to be better at it but was quite Uh, conscious of the fact that that might freak people out. That might be the thing that makes other people think that they're not good enough. How how do we not fuel other people's imposter syndrome? Yeah, well, a lot of it comes back to uh, our own egos, right? So if if you're wanting to be the most intelligent person in the room, that can be but unavoidable at times. You're, so. you're, you're, you're diminishing the intelligence of others, right? So, you know, a part of it is is managing our own ego by lifting up the intelligence or the contribution of others around us. Uh, so they call it that the sort of multiply-diminisher effect, right, is you want to try and multiply the talent around you rather than uh, diminish or multiply yourself in a sense. I think it's good to be... You know, it's probably the flip side too, uh, Michael, you know, you have your last question about what, you know, what's the opposite of imposter syndrome because we need to manage that in our teams. And some of you, I'll give you an example, one of the organisations I work with, they call them the high-performing inconsiderates. You know, it's the star, right? It's the star that thinks that, uh, that, that everything is about them and that, you know, they should be the one that gets all the accolades and the recognition and... Sounds like our guest list. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Good agency name, the high-performing inconsiderate. High-performing, that's an idea. Let's try to mark it now. Uh, But what happens around them and, you know, I mean, you see this a lot in legal environments, for example, or highly technical environments where, you know, they don't share information, they don't have enough empathy, 
they they diminish trust in those people around them. They don't share information, and ultimately it becomes uh, they wreck the whole team. It's chaos around them, and the leaders floundering because they've now got one person causing a real dysfunctional team issue that they find really hard to deal with because that person is often brilliant but absolutely causes chaos around them. So in my experience, standards up front create the behaviours that that then create the sort of way we work around here that becomes more than one person. And if that one person can't sink into those values and behaviours, then that's when difficult conversations have to happen, which we are talking about before, and eventually those people will leave the organisation because they just don't fit the way we work around here, right? And that just, it becomes too much of a difficulty. And in my experience, again, when that change is made, the team really flourishes because they've kind of cut this bit out of the team that was essentially cancerous and uh, and it starts to really reset and flourish and refresh to a new level. Yeah, and I wonder if that, is that, is that era-based? Was there a time when that, that particular style of leadership or that particular person was more uh, able to succeed than now? Because we'll talk about things like vulnerable leadership will be like a, you know, what a, a theme now as opposed to what you've just talked about, which I think is quite the opposite. Was there a time when high-performing, what, what, what were they called again? High-performing inconsiderates. Considerate. Yeah. That, that they were successful in business, so that's the way business was. Is that a generational thing? Uh, I don't, look, I think it's, it's, it's in a couple of where there's individual high revenue earners, you know, where you say legal, consulting, some of the professional services. The other area is highly technical. So where you really, you know, your your success is based on your technical ability. Um, so I, those are the contexts. So those contexts still still very current. So I, I, I see it still existing, uh, but there's much more awareness now of, you know, Things like you know vulnerable vulnerability and you know yeah. inclusive leadership and giving feedback and some of the things that we've talked about that that tend to manage those or or, or prevent those issues becoming you know mountains really over time right so I, I don't think it's generational or age related but I right. think it's maturity related in terms of right. organisational practice and leadership practice yeah great so I'd like to end this on a high. And without our high-performing inconsiderates for a moment, um, and ask you for some advice personally or professionally, what can be done to manage and maintain these feelings that we might have about not performing or performing at our best, and how do we stop being held back? Yeah, I, I think that's okay. the, that's the key question because that's that's what I uh, have an aversion to. I guess is people where they hold themselves back from what is their potential or their possibility. And, and, you know, that becomes very self-limiting. And I, I think, you know, I think understanding, a lot of it's about awareness, but I think understanding the situations that trigger you. So, you know, in my, I've talked about when you step up into a new role or you're planning your career or you're presenting a big or pitching something big or, you know, these are the contexts or the situations that we find ourselves that in that then bring a certain thought pattern. And it's quite individualised, that narrative that plays out in our head. You know, I'm not good enough or I don't deserve this or I'm not smart enough. It's it's variations on the same theme, right? But if you understand that specifically, what that is, uh, then you can learn to manage that. 
right? Because that thought pattern is what makes you feel the, the, the feelings that are connected to imposter syndrome, right? You, you might feel ashamed or like feel like an imposter or you feel anxious or you feel stressed, you know, those you feel afraid that you're going to make a mistake or whatever. Right? So they, they evoke those feelings in us that then evoke other thoughts for us. So I think a, a big part of it is accepting the fact that just we, we just about all of us have this playing out, right? It's the feeling that we want to avoid. So if we flip that on our head and say, well, let's just, just acknowledge that this happens for all people. Let's just acknowledge the fact that this is, just accept the fact that it's a bit uncomfortable, like be okay with difficult feelings. Um, then you can actually plan, okay, in what situations do I need to prepare myself? Like where I'd get triggered? What's the new mindset that I need to bring to those situations that I can have as my course correction? You know, what's the different, how am I going to manage my feelings in this case in terms of, well, do I need to focus on being more excited or focus rather than, rather than right. the current feeling? And then how do I set up a winnable game for myself? You know, and if we go back to the presenting situation that's kind of there for many is, well, maybe let's set it up as a conversation rather than presenting to a room of 50 or let's set it up where, you know, I've got some questions coming in or I've got some breaks in the session. Let's, because it's the, of, it's the lack of practice or the fear that stops you from kind of turning the country road into a freeway, right? Like because the more we, we get caught in it, the more we avoid it, the more it becomes larger and the more it sort of has a life of its own. So um, I think the key is, is actually practice and chipping it down, starting with small things and having a plan uh, for the specific situations that trigger you. And that's both in terms of how you think, how you feel and what you're going to do to, to take some actions that can help you. And so much of that, like you've said, and, you know, thanks very much for this conversation has been about like the advice that you get, the, the potential mentoring that you have, that the, the, the practice thing can actually be a conversation with someone, right? It can be actually about saying it out loud um, to make a big difference. I totally. I mean, I think we, we do rehearse a lot of those conversations in our own head, don't we? But, but <laughs> practising those with, with, I find it funny when you, you're driving, you see people walk down the street that are, you know, you can see their mouth moving, you know, kind of know what they're just about to go into next. But, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, back to your previous question about leaders, I mean, mentoring people, developing people, exposing them to the things, I mean, part of the research we see, particularly relating to women advancing in their career, is that a big, like a 33%, like a third of the reason women don't get into senior exec roles is because of lack of mentoring on business, financial and strategic acumen. So we as leaders can have young conversations with our younger talent about the financials and about what they mean and about what decisions we need to take as a result of that to develop those people so that they don't have that challenge of in time of, geez, I don't understand the numbers or I'm not going to ask a question here because I don't want to look like a fool or I don't want to get into a difficult conversation to look like I'm not, you know, I'm not sort of at the right level here, you know, which is what a lot of people feel at, at all levels. So, yeah, to answer your question, uh, I think the mentoring and developing part and the conversations that we can have, uh, those coaching conversations in the moment are goals to, to help those people around us, um, both in terms of the way that they're thinking to get perspective, but also to set them up to, uh, to be as successful as they can and what they're going to do next. 
Yeah, great. Thanks for joining us today, Peter Nankervis on The Imposterous. Michael, thanks for having having me. I hope, I hope something in there is, you know, gold to someone. Very good. Yeah, we'll put your details on the website should someone want to be in touch. It'll be good. Thanks. Terrific. Thanks. The Imposterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. The theme music that you're listening to now was created by Hilton Mode of the same company. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous. Mm-hmm.